Your business is an asset that can support a thriving life. I believe this, and I am committed to making this a reality for every entrepreneur and business owner who listens to this podcast. The Women Driving in Business podcast was created with you in mind. Whether you are thinking about entrepreneurship or you're a business veteran, this podcast has inspiration, information, and advice you can use to thrive in business. Women Thriving in Business features candid, unscripted conversations with entrepreneurs, business experts, authors, and academics who will contribute to your business success. I seek out and talk with business leaders who have built, grown, and thrived in business. My name is Nikki Rogers, transformation coach, author, and the host of Women Thriving in Business podcast. I work with women entrepreneurs to develop the mindset, strategies, and connections necessary to thrive in business. Join me and your fellow thrivers each week on this journey of discovery and success. Welcome, Thrivers, to this week's episode of Women Thriving in Business podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Rogers, and I'm delighted to have with me today my guest, Ashley Wilson, who is the founder of AuditMate, which is the first ever elevator and escalator auditing and management software company. Ashley and I had a great conversation where we touched on a number of topics, most important one being getting what you pay for. And this is applicable for all types of business owners, entrepreneurs, or just regular everyday consumers. You should always understand your contracts and make sure you're getting what you pay for. We also talked about the importance of empathy in building a great company and why self-acceptance is so key for entrepreneurs as you go about building your businesses and living your life. So here's a bit about Ashley. Ashley Wilson is a San Francisco-based entrepreneur who was raised by a used car salesman and an elevator guy. By the age of 20, Ashley had opened and sold multiple small businesses. And with AuditMate, she has combined her elevator industry knowledge and entrepreneurial spirit to create a company that focuses on bringing transparency and efficiency to the elevator industry through knowledge sharing, technology, and contracts management. I hope you will enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Let's go. Welcome, Thrivers, to this week's episode of Women Thriving in Business podcast. My guest today is Ashley Wilson, who is the founder of AuditMate, the first ever elevator and escalator auditing firm. So welcome, Ashley. So glad to have you here today. Thank you for having me, Nikki. Great. So let's just get right into it. So Ashley, tell us all about AuditMate and then also what got you started on your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, thank you. So as you said, AuditMate is the first ever elevator and escalator auditing and management software and firm. So I am a self-proclaimed elevator baby. I was raised in the industry and I quickly found that 
profits in the industry were due to customers not really understanding their contracts and elevator companies really not doing their job. So what AuditMate's mission is, is to empower building owners and managers to get the most out of their contracts while AuditMate doing the heavy lifting. So we're focused on customers getting everything that they pay for when it comes to maintenance and staying in compliance, whereas we also do all of the vendor communication and repair upgrades and things of that nature. So really the whole point is for clients to be able to get the most of what they're paying for while doing the least, like letting the experts handle it. And to the second part of the question, the entrepreneurial journey, I think that started far before AuditMate ever started. I started my first business at 18, I think, was a cleaning business and a coffee stand. But specifically to AuditMate was I wanted to change the industry and I wanted to help people. And it seemed the only way to really do that was to not work for elevator companies. Well, we kind of geeked out around the whole elevator industry when we talked before. So for the listeners who are thinking, what, what's the deal with elevators? Can you tell us a little bit about why this is so important? You talked about customers getting what they needed, but why is this really important? Why does it matter to the everyday person who probably uses an elevator a lot? So why does it matter about building owners having a great relationship with the folks who provide their elevators? Yeah. So the elevator industry is, it's massive, but it's also extremely niche. There's not a ton of education or awareness out there. As you said, we all ride elevators all the time, but how many people actually think about what it takes to maintain an elevator or how expensive it is? That's not generally something you think about. I often will describe elevators as like a non-experience is the good experience. When you have one, it's generally a bad one, right? Like getting stuck in one or it being small or a loud noise. Good experiences are really few and far between. You don't really go into an elevator and we're like, man, this is really cool. So the industry itself is 120-ish billion dollar a year industry. And there's four major companies that own over 80% of the market share globally. So four companies, that's it. That's tiny in the grand scheme of things for how massive the industry is. And there's really not a ton of education out there. For most general maintenance folks, they know a little bit about HVAC. They know a little bit about electrical. They can like make your leaky faucet stop. When it comes to elevators, you have to hire the company to do it. And I think because of that, building owners and managers are just like, oh, we hire them. They do it. You just pick up the phone. Well, with that, we don't know what we're supposed to be getting. And we don't know what the right amount of that is. So it isn't until you get a big, massive bill or a repair or the elevator stops working that you're like, oh, wait, I probably should have done something on the front end or they should have done something on the front end. But like, there's really little facts around that. So for building owners, it's important because what you pay on what, at the times that it doesn't seem to matter when the elevator is just running really plays into how long the elevator lasts and the safety of the elevator and the owner's risk and liability when it comes to staying in compliance or the testing being up to date. Most building owners and managers just solely rely on their elevator company to take care of all of that for them. In most cases, they do. But if something's not covered under your service contract that really easily could be covered under your service contract, you end up paying like four times the amount 
when it could just be included in your monthly bill. So thank you for sharing that. As you mentioned, it's a very small industry in regards to the number of vendors that are available out there, right? So Mm -hmm. you're really helping the building owner understand what's in their contract, get what they need, and also get what they pay for in regards to the amount of maintenance, whether it be the type of parts, whether it be a replacement, all those types of things. And so can you talk to us a little bit about the current or the past level of transparency in those transactions and then how your business is really shedding light on all those details that every business owner should be aware of, whether they're dealing with a contract about an elevator or they're dealing with a contract in some other realm. So can you just talk to us about the light that you're bringing into this area? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you bring up a good point, which maybe we'll like put a pin in for later, but just the accessibility of understanding contracts and the fact of just on a general sense of what my business does and the need that I really feel. Yes, it happens to be about elevators, but really what I'm doing is I found an area of the market that was untapped simply because a light wasn't shined on it. And so what we do specifically is elevator companies didn't have to be transparent in how much maintenance they were doing because nobody ever asked. (laughs) Nobody ever knew to ask. And my stepdad always tells us he was in the industry for 40 years. And I've heard him tell the story a million times that elevator contracts have periodic frequency, which basically means we can come whenever we want to. We will periodically maintain your equipment. Periodic to whom? Periodic according to what? So before there was a big elevator strike in the early 90s. Before that, elevator contracts were maintained monthly on these periodic contracts. Now the elevator companies lost massive amounts of money in the strike. And the elevator companies, because there's only four, when one shifts, they all shift. And they dropped that frequency down from monthly to quarterly. And then it was sort of a wait and see. And guess what? Nobody noticed. Clients didn't notice. And since then, we've seen this continual decrease in maintenance where one of the major elevator companies only does one maintenance visit a year on this same contract, periodic maintenance. Whether that's scientifically proven that that's all the maintenance it needs or not, the contract didn't change. The customer's expectation didn't change. So customers often think that they get maintenance at the frequency in which they pay the bill, but you can change your payment frequency at any point. So customers will be like, no, I get quarterly maintenance. And I'm like, no, you just pay the bill quarterly. You actually not required to get quarterly maintenance. Your contract doesn't require the vendor to do anything. The contract says the vendor will come in regular hours, regular time. Again, regular to whom? My regular hours, the elevator company's regular hours, the mechanics work hours, the union hours, because that term is so squishy as our general counsel likes to use, you can't really nail it down to something concrete. So what AuditMate does is we make it really cut and dry based on the customer's needs and or budget or both. So how much maintenance they're supposed to get, how long the vendor can take to respond, what parts are covered or not covered. In the event of a dispute, what protocol do you have to go through? What are the terms of cancellation? All of these parts of the contract that used to be sort of vendor loopholes, as I would like to call them, become really, really, really specific in an audit make contract. Then we built a software that monitors each of those things. So the maintenance on a certain frequency, the testing on a certain frequency. If there's a breakdown, we track how long it takes the vendor to get on site, 
how long they're on site, if it should be billed, if it shouldn't be billed. And then all of that's tracked using software. A human could do it, but guess what? A property manager's job is not full-time to manage the elevator vendor. That's one of their vendors. That's one of their jobs. But elevator companies charge $500 an hour. So one mistake could tank if we're talking about a church or a nonprofit, or one service call could ruin the entire budget for the year. So we require the vendor to provide data in a certain way, which has never been required of an elevator company before. And then we track every legal term has a data point that we track using technology to highlight exactly what the client should be getting and then not paying any more than they should. I love that. As you were just describing that, I'm like, this is really applicable to life, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Which is sort of where I was like the pin. It really could be insert any word except for elevator in what that, we're doing. This is really mind blowing. Another thing that we talked about before is just for those folks who are saying, oh, well, it's okay. Elevators are inspected every year and they're safe, right? And I'm one of those people who actually looks for the inspection certificate, but lately a lot of them are saying, see the office for the certificate. Yeah. But you shared a startling statistic about the number of uninspected elevators. So can you please share that with the listeners? Yeah. So depending on the state, many, many, many states are severely delinquent in their elevator inspections. And California is a prime example of that is often the elevator inspectors are past due. And because of the bureaucracy, for lack of better terms, of how elevator companies can submit their testing, elevator companies will often not do the safety and safety testing until the elevator inspection has been completed. So then the owner, not only is their certificate past due, their safety testing hasn't been done. Now, this isn't the same in every state. Some states are super diligent, like Washington's super diligent about their inspections. But those little certificates, if that's past due, the owner is the only one who's liable, even though, guess what? They can't do their own inspection. They can't do their own testing, but they are required to ensure that it's done, which again, kind of mind-blowing. Wow. That's amazing and also a little scary for a building owner, right? And again, pressing on from a safety perspective, what is the average age of elevators in this country right now? I know we have a lot of new construction <laughs> and new buildings, but on average, what what's the age of the typical elevator that's in a building that you would go into? Yeah. So your age is around 30 years right now based on the computers, but the age doesn't really play into the safety. And I'm often the one calming my friends down about elevator fear. So just to give someone a little bit of solace, elevators are the safest form of transportation and you cannot free fall in an elevator. In fact, you can drop a few inches, which will feel terrifying, but you're not going to all the way fall to the bottom. And in fact, the only elevator that's ever free fallen in history was in the Empire State Building. A World War II plane flew through the ropes of the elevator and there was a woman on board, but the ropes fell faster than the elevator. So they went down at the bottom and they coiled up and made a cushion at the bottom of the shaft and it actually absorbed the fall and she lived. Well, so movies would have you think that elevators are falling all over the place. But yes. <laughs> so yeah. 
Yeah, but you're safe in elevators. It's actually escalators that try to kill you. So like lift your skirts, don't wear Crocs. <laughs> if you're wearing Crocs, take the elevator, not the escalator. But yeah, elevators are very safe. So it's funny about the escalators. I was just reading this article about the little brushes on the side of the escalator. And the writer was making the point that it's supposed to deter people, but because of the brushes, it actually attracts people to put their feet there or something like that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The whole point of them is to not put your feet there. Yes. Yes. You're right. (laughs) It was this whole treatise on the little Uh brushes. It's like when someone's like, don't look. And the first thing you do is look. Yeah. So you talked about kind of why you started this business specifically, Mm -hmm. but tell us a little bit about what you were doing before you started the business itself and really what pushed you personally over into saying, I want to start a company. I want to strike out on my own and create my own fortune. Yeah. I think the story may be a little better if it was actually that way. So I was working for a major elevator company. And I guess let's take it back a little bit. I'd always been an entrepreneur by nature. Started my first businesses at 18, mostly because I didn't want to work for minimum wage and I really had no life skills. (laughs) So I went and bought a bucket and a mop from Walmart and went out and found cleaning clients because I could work less time. Mind you, I was not a good cleaner. So my family was like, what? What are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, but if it's for money, then it's different, right? I don't want to be a bank teller for $6 an hour. I know I don't want to do that. So I've always had that spirit and questioning of why do we do things this way? Or that doesn't make sense. Or it's easier to do it this way. But then in my 20s, joined the elevator industry after my stepfather. And I loved it. I loved the elevator industry, still do, but I loved working for an elevator company, I should say. The mix of blue collar, white collar. I definitely have that operational work with my hand, problem solving, engineering mindset. But then you get the strategy and the numbers and the profit and all of that at the same time. It was really cool for my brain. The longer I was in the industry, the questioning started to come up. The profit margins were so high and the work that I had to do in running offices and running sales teams was largely around, I mean, I know now, but it's a lot of gaslighting. It was a lot of explaining what periodic meant in a way to shut down the conversation and or those gray areas of trying to charge for things that were in a gray area because we knew that people didn't understand it or educating and shifting mindsets in a way that it was educating, but to the benefit of the company when really we were the only educators out there. And it started to just feel icky. This doesn't feel right. On top of that, there was a huge loss every year for the elevator companies in portfolio loss cancellations because customers were frustrated with the communications terrible, frustrated mm-hmm. the customers that find, were like, you're not doing what you should be doing and would just get ignored. Tons of loss. And I was like, if we just did our job, we wouldn't <laughs> lose that. We lost 19 million. I remember the number was like 19 million something or other. And I was like, wait, but to actually do the job of those contracts that we lost would have been a quarter of that. Had we just done our job, we wouldn't have lost that money. How does that not make sense to y'all? If we're just honest, then our customers will be happier. Our employees will be happier and we'll make more money. We're spending a lot of time to rip people off. (laughs) Does nobody see this? I was just flabbergasted about it. 
the straw that broke the camel's back ultimately was I did this global research project and about portfolio protection. I was a problem child, as you might imagine. And they were like, oh, Ashley, we have this big global research project on portfolio protection. And we know you've been doing all of this work around this already on your own, lead this project. And so we put together this way to score clients to enhance the experience, to make them feel supported and understood. Like how do we insert customer touches that make them feel that we empathize with them, that we understand what they're going through. It's like these really simple things that makes a customer feel heard and supported empathy. And I presented it to all the CEOs in North and South America. And I will never forget that one person looked at me and said, empathy could be a great competitive advantage. And I was like, nope, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. We don't use empathy because we can profit off of it. Empathy is there because it is the right thing to do, because it is our core, because it is our values. It is something that is embedded in the lifeblood. Does it make more profit? Sure, but that's not a tool for that. It's because it's a part of who we are that doing the right thing can be profitable and is profitable if that's your mission and you never waver from that. I just left, right? And it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go start my own company and do it the right way. I basically was like, bye. (laughs) Like, I'm done. I cannot do this anymore. And so I did nothing for like nine months. And then it came later. I had severe burnout. I had a lot of healing to do, a lot of self-parenting and nurturing and things that just really needed to heal before I was ready to go out and try again. Because, I mean, as women in business know, you get the shit kicked out of you all the time. So it's hard to start from an empty cup. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Ashley, because I think a lot of people, specifically women, I think a lot of them feel like they have to have something to go to before they leave. Yeah. Yeah. That you were like enough. Yeah. I can't take this anymore. I choose me. Yeah. Left kind of without a plan, right? No plan. So would you mind sharing with the listeners? What were some of the things you did in order to heal in order to self-parent? Because I think a lot of people are dealing with that workplace trauma, that mismatch in values, that wanting something more and not knowing what it is, and sometimes staying stuck in that space. So what were some of the things that helped you reclaim yourself in order to get to the point where you could actually give birth to automate? Yeah. One thing I have to preface as I heard myself say that, It sounds like I maybe am a person who is spontaneous. (laughs) And up until this point in my life, I was very much not. And so I want that to be, my life was like in a spreadsheet. My goals, everything was very, 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 very calculated up until that point. And I think that's an important piece to add that me leaving without a plan was my radical. That was pushing myself out of all comfort zones and choosing myself. That was earth shattering for me. And I think it needed to, right? That part of me, not to be morbid, but it needed to die, right? One of my favorite quotes I've seen this year is like, I've been to many funerals, all of which were mine. So letting these parts of ourselves that we hold on to, that it's like, I am this. Sometimes we need to let those go and then mourn them in order to like get through to the next. So a lot of that nine months was mourning. Mm -hmm. I didn't know who I was without accolades. 
I didn't know who I was without the degrees, without the resume, without this, that, and the other. Who is Ashley without all that crap? And even when you and I got on the call the first time, you were like, who are you? And I was like, blah, 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 blah. And you were like, no, but who are you? It's like this go-to front that I put on for so long of we are not our work. We are not our degrees. We are not our successes. We are more than that. And we are all of that, all and nothing, everything and nothing. So there was a long time in that nine months that I was like, oh, I'll do this. Oh, I'm going to go to Thailand and be a monk for six months or like, oh, I'm going to start this business or that business or this or that. My busy mind was doing all of these things all of the time. And it got to the point, I remember I almost went manic. I almost went crazy. Going crazy became my job, if that makes sense. Yes. And I sat down. Everything, right? Everything. That it was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. It got so crazy that all of these narratives started to get so mixed that I had to write them down. And I wrote down all of the different paths that I could go or things that I could do. And it wasn't until I did that that I was able to release the shoulds. I should be doing. Mm. I'm only worthy if. I had to release all of that and get down to the core of my being to understand at the end of the day, I want to help people. And at the end of the day, I want to empower people. And at the end of the day, I want to run a company. And I didn't really care what, but I knew that I could help people. I know that my approach and just being me can be jarring to people. Being queer, being heavily tattooed, being small, being young, being a woman, walking into, you know, I have t-shirts with saying on sayings on them that'll be jarring that I'll wear under a suit in a room full of all white men <laughs> with one hair, half of my head orange and one half of my hair red. And I'm like, you're like, I'm here and listen to me, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to take up space. Yeah. And I had to get that confidence and that grit and that fire back because sometimes I feel like corporate tries to beat it out of you or life or society. I don't know. Everyone, I just feel like tries to beat that uniqueness out of us. But that uniqueness, that little voice when you're like, this is the right way or that's not right, wherever that little thing comes up, that's your power. And learning to listen to that is hard. I think we're taught, we're mm -hmm. educated to fit in, right? I was sharing with a friend the other day. I said, I'm an odd person and that's okay. I'm proud of it, right? I'm not everyone's taste. And that's great because that means you have to have a refined taste. You have to have a refined palate, a refined whatever Absolutely. in order to be in my circle and to want to be a part of my circle. So Literally. I'm not for everybody. So I think that's a good thing. And I think the sooner we recognize that about ourselves and recognize that uniqueness is what makes us great, is what makes us all great, the better off we are, the more we accept ourselves. And once we accept ourselves, others have no other choice. Absolutely. If you're not a little bit weird, I'm probably not going to be calling you on the weekends. Like, And also, I think that there's something to be said of if I was liked by everyone, I probably wouldn't like myself. I know I couldn't be authentic and be liked by everyone. There's no way. It's not possible. Mm -mm. So in thinking about that and just some of the spaces that you take up space in, what have been some of the challenges that you faced uh, since starting Automate? Internal challenges is like imposter syndrome all the time. <laughs> I'm not the smartest elevator person. I don't need to be. 
And I think that's something that especially women struggle with too. What's that statistic that's like women only apply for jobs when they meet 100% of the- 90% at least. Yeah. yeah. And men's like 60 or something along those lines. If I wouldn't have started this company because I wasn't the smartest elevator person, it never would have came about. But my vision is you don't have to be an elevator expert. We can connect the right people and build software around it and put the best minds together in the room. I'm the curator of, not the expert of everything. I heard this woman, I can't remember what company she had, but some CEO, and they asked her what her biggest regret was in starting a company. And I wish I remembered her name that I could provide proper credit, but it was something along the lines of, I wish that I would have never thought Oh, wait, how was it worded? No one else can run my company better than I can. Mm. I might not be an expert of all things, but I still know the right way for my company. And that was so powerful to me because we'll often go, I'm not a CPA. I don't ever want to be a CPA. I don't ever want to be an attorney. And they'll provide feedback for like, do this or do that. But at the end of the day, your gut is always the right answer always. And so if we are constantly at the whim of all of these other people and not trusting that inner voice, yes, of course, get feedback, get expert feedback, have cheerleaders, build diverse teams around you. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, it's all you. Mm -hmm. I love that. Your gut is always the right answer. Yeah. And you know what? Even if it's not, you did it your way. (laughs) So it's still Mm -hmm. the right. No decision is permanent. Decisions just inform the next decision. It's just information. So the faster we can make them, the faster we get information to do the next thing. It's when we don't make decisions that we get in trouble. You are speaking to me. I am very deliberative. I think about it all the time. And then I talk myself out of it. So this year has really been about just do it. Just do it. You know what? I can figure it out later. It's not a mistake. It's a lesson. Yeah. I will always learn something I wouldn't have learned if I had done nothing. So yeah. I don't know the word choice we can use on your line, but I say mess it up fast with a different four-letter word to my team all the time is my go-to saying with them is F it up fast. And the reason is we build a lot of things from scratch at AuditMe, whether it's a sales strategy, marketing, a product, tech innovation, any of it, it's all coming out of thin air. So unless we put something down on paper, to test it and see if it works, we're never going to get there. So why don't you build the crappy thing so that we can make it better? Because until you mess it up, we will never find greatness. Go F it up so that we can all build together and then put input. Because if there's nothing, we'll go nowhere. I love it. Yeah. Done is better than perfect. And in your case, if you don't put it on paper, it literally doesn't exist. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So now you're creating something and until you create it, there's nothing, there's no evidence. So I love it. F it up fast. That's going to be my motto for 2022. So I love it. (laughs) So when you think about, again, in your business, what has been your greatest accomplishment or the thing you're most proud of? I would say one, the first one was getting funded for sure. That was the big, scary thing. 
because even though I had a degree, I didn't understand all these terms that people were saying, you know, convertible note and VC and equity and all of this stuff felt like Mandarin to me, which then also goes back to the accessibility of all of this stuff, which is a whole other subject about the percentage of VC funding that goes to women and people of color and especially women, people of color, you know, if we get into these groups. So to be a queer female founder and get funding felt it was an accomplishment all on its own. And to take up space again, even in that arena was really, really important to me. And then from there has been to help clients to see the actual success of clients being able to take work off of their plates and say, hey, I never could have done this or been here without y'all keep going, right? That's been the mantra of the year has just been like, just keep doing it. Just keep going. Yeah. Great. I think those, those are two great accomplishments and we could probably have a whole conversation about the whole funding. So but totally. Like, yeah. Part two around yes. that. So what are some of the things that you maybe have coming up or specific programs that you offer to your clients? Anything you want to share around how folks could potentially work with Automate? Yeah. So we do a free elevator contract analysis. It's actually free, risk-free, cost-free, that we will come in and do a full analysis of your legal contract, of the maintenance providers, maintenance history, equipment health, and compliance. So we do a full analysis of the contract and history for a client. This is really, really, really powerful information. We also will provide a proposed strategy, but even if you don't plan on moving forward, it's great to just know. And that's really who we are is like, hey, I want people to understand what their contract is and what they're getting from it, even if they don't have the means or the funds to move forward with a service like AuditMe. We'll also provide free services to nonprofits of that nature. So if there's a nonprofit out there that has an elevator that's giving them help, please email me, reach out. We are happy to help. Otherwise, if you have an elevator, it's definitely worth it to take a look under the hood at no cost. Great. Thank you. And how can people reach out to you if they want to take advantage of that? Auditmate.com. Also on LinkedIn is a great way to get a hold of us. My email is Ashley period Wilson at auditmate.com. And Great. we're like kind of on Twitter, but mostly LinkedIn. Okay. We'll add that into the show notes. So there are two questions I always ask my guests on each episode. So the first one is what are one or two songs that are on your power playlist and why? Power playlist. I listen to such sappy music. That's so interesting. Power playlist. I would probably say some sort of Beyonce something to get the vibe up. Absolutely. And some Stevie Nicks. Two badass women. Mm -hmm. And what is one book that has helped you thrive in business or that you would recommend to others that has really helped move your business forward? Dare to Lead, Brene Brown. Great. All Brene Brown for sure, but definitely, definitely Dare to Lead. And any insights in particular that came out of that book that you want to share? Yeah. So... Brene Brown is just like a powerhouse in vulnerability, which just is mind blowing. I learned about emotions from her and definitely not until my 20s did I even know how to articulate or understand my own emotions. But then to take all of that framework and apply it to business and to Mm -hmm. learn 
I need the touchy feely, but I also need the science for something to truly resonate with me and come into my cores. What does it feel like? But also what's the biology or psychology behind it? And she does a really great job through storytelling, um, providing it's normal to feel like this. It's normal for the visceral reaction to come up this way. It's normal to have unconscious bias. All of this is normal and human. And then here's what we do or you can do to get better on your awareness, to interact better with people, to have better teams. I'm a huge fan of the, we need safe spaces. Yes, of course. We also need brave spaces, which to me resonates so hard because it is extremely brave to be vulnerable. Giving and receiving feedback is extremely vulnerable and brave. And being able to receive those things and then also have the awareness to say, is this mine? Mm -hmm. Do I need to apply this? But how can we receive it in a way that the other person feels heard and validated? But then also, if it's not yours, throw it out. (laughs) But that doesn't mean you have to make the other person feel bad about providing that feedback because there's a reason that they feel that way. And it might be all theirs. It might be a 100% projection, but completely disregarding them does nothing for the relationship. Right, right. I think a lot of times people want to be right and not be in relationship. So the the ego and the being right is more important than the relationship. I think what her books teach us is that there is a way to stand in your beliefs, stand in your power, and also let other people have their dignity. And you don't have to agree with them, but we can all have our dignity. Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Something that keeps coming up for me is everyone's truth is true. And I had a long debate recently with someone in regard to folks with very differing political and or life moral values than we have. And what's the path forward? And I'm like, everyone's truth is true. Even to us, if those things are extremely hateful and are extremely hateful, it's still true. And so telling people you're this or you're that or you're this or you're that, we're not going to get to harmony that way. That only creates more division. So how do we find the compassion and seek first to understand and then to be understood? Both parties want to, you know, you've got to prime the wheels on that a little bit. Right. And recognize that you might not get to agreement. And then you might not be in relationship. You might not be, as much as people want to be right over relationships, sometimes people want to maintain relationships despite. Totally. And sometimes you just have to say, this no longer works for either of us. Absolutely. Constant friction. We can just agree and walk away. Agree to disagree. You can fire clients. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think that's hard in business. We don't have to remain in relation with people, even professionally. And that's not wrong or bad. Even if it's your first and only client, if it screws with your mental health or your values or morals, choose you. Yes. Yes. That could be a whole other podcast episode. (laughs) Totally. So it sounds like we need to have a part two. (laughs) I'm down. Let's do it. But Ashley, it has been so great talking with you today. And I just look forward to seeing all the great things that you're going to do going forward. Thanks so much. And likewise. All right. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Women Thriving in Business podcast. If you like this episode, share it with a friend. 
You can also share your feedback, your insights, your thoughts with us on social media via Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you. Be sure to like, review, and subscribe either on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. Until next week, keep thriving. Thank you.